You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this Tuesday morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm feeling good, thank you. Feeling good. Yeah. We uh, into our last show of November. It's hard to believe. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a journey this year. It has. It's been and, a good year. Uh, we've got some great shows coming up in December, of course, but... Uh, it's it's an exciting time. It is busy time, very busy time. In fact, I, we were out this weekend and got a chunk of our Christmas shopping done. So that makes me feel better. But no matter how prepared, it still seems to be rushed. There's always something that always uh, something. sneaks up. Well, we have uh, still have to decorate the house, which each year becomes more and more of a chore yeah. for me. <laughs> I'm trying to minimize with a few punch pieces. Typically, uh, we. Uh, uh, decorate a house on uh, like December first. That's when we start to open up everything and, and get everything out that's, of the boxes. That's this and weekend. Such. Yeah, that's this weekend. Yeah, it's um, it's it's usually yeah. We don't get our tree this year. We're getting it on the seventh. We try and do it as a family. And each year with the kids getting busier and busier, it's hard to nail down a date well, to do these things. That's a nice tradition. It is a nice tradition, but it, it, we push it. So actually, yeah. we're getting it on the 8th. And our family, the kids, um, and they're they're well into their... Well, my youngest one is 20. So we've got a 20, 25, 27, 20. Every year, <laughs> they get a Santa picture done for me. So the middle years, it was like pulling teeth. And now it's just become a thing. So these four adults, and then my, my daughter-in-law is involved now, um, line up with all the children <laughs> and sit on Santa's lap and get their picture done. So uh, that's another that's difficult fun. one. It is fun. <laughs> and that's uh, that's usually our Christmas card that goes out. So it's kind of a it's kind of a tradition, and, and hopefully it carries on, because I would love to see as the kids get older and they start having their own kids that they're involved, uh, you know, with the picture, too. It's kind of fun. But again, really hard to nail down with the kids' busy schedule, but um, we'll get it done. Today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. We're going to really work hard on trying to get people calling in next year. I think it would add such a great piece to the show. So we're it gonna, would. Yeah, it would. We're really going to try to promote this a whole bunch more. Um, the guests like to interact, and they're such experts that, you know, sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, the questions that uh, come to my mind may not be all the questions that come to your mind. So we're going to work on that in 2020. But do follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook um, at the Health Hub RMC. And I'm going to cough. <coughs> Excuse me, or you can email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. Alex, do you want to talk for a sec while I have a sip here? Throwing you in the spot. <laughs> no problem. So, in fact, <laughs> listeners, just to let you know, um, during the um, the Advent season that's coming up, we will be having some 
programs for specifically Advent and Christmas. So we do invite you to visit our website over the next week or so. And we will definitely have that uh, uh, schedule of programming made available. Am I back on here? Yes, you are. Sorry about that. I got something caught in my throat. Anyways, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC or email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. If you have any questions, we are well into February for lining up guests for the show, but have the rest of the year open. So any ideas, please please bring them forth. We'd love to hear um, your comments and, uh, and any questions you might have. Also, as you know, all of our podcasts are, or all of our shows are turned into podcasts. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Okay, I think I'm through this now. Hopefully we're there. Okay, so this is a busy part of this of the year, of course, but uh, life in general is rushed. And sometimes I think we feel that uh, we fall short in many areas when it comes to cultivating solid nutritional foundation and, you know, to a larger extent, family bonding. So when I read this study, I thought, you know what, I'm going to pass this along to you all as a, you know, a real... Pat on the back to, to, you know, even small steps make uh, a big world of difference. And this is a study that was done by research Matea Daliker, Jutta Mata, and Ralph Hertwig from the Max Planck Institute for Human Development and the University of Mannheim. And both of these uh, uh, places are located in Germany. And they recently co-wrote a meta-analysis on the components of healthy family meals and what they found should give heart to all you busy families who are really, really trying hard to make it work. Um, and here we go. What they found were uh, three key points were that there is no real magic number regarding how often family meals must take place to be beneficial. We're talking about family meals. We're talking about sitting around the table and sharing a meal together. They found that even one meal per week can have beneficial effects. Um, they are likely smaller effects uh, if it's only one meal a week, but even the small effects can add up and become very, very positive over time. Yeah, in fact, every interaction, every moment you have together is impactful. It is impactful, and I think we get, you know, we get down on ourselves because I know that we're all busy, you know, in all stages of our lives, but especially if you're a parent of, of younger ones that you are taking to, uh, you know, events, whether it's dance, hockey, whatever you're doing, extra schooling, you know, by the time you get them home, and if you're a working person, you can really feel overwhelmed. And I think, um, you know, you can get a real sense of, of not being all that. And that's a stressful thing. So know that, you know, even if you're, you're sitting together, and it doesn't have to be a complicated meal. Right. So, you know, if, if what works for you is having um, a real simple pizza that you order in, and that's going to work for you to sit down together as a family, take that one day, take that as your, your, you know, your cheat day of the week, but sit together and eat. And to that end, um, they also, they also found that if you're eating together Mm -hmm. and you're trying to cultivate this family bonding, right. Turning off the TV is essential. Um, and we've talked about having the TV on and having it, you know, it, it, it does impact negatively on the digestion, but 
When you're sitting around and you've, you've found that even if it's a half hour to grab a slice of pizza together and you're sitting around a table, um, if you've got the distraction of a TV on, you're not fully engaged. So take the time, shut the TV off and become engaged. And in this day and age where conversation is, is a real skill as opposed to just something general uh, that, that, that everyone seems to, you know, we seem to have lost this. this Ability to talk to each other. Ability and, yeah. to talk. And, I, yeah. and I'm thinking experiencing that at the moment. Um, we seem to have lost this ability <laughs> to communicate. You know, shutting the TV off really forces us to, to find that engagement. So that's, that's also very key. Yes. Um, a key piece of research that they found. And the other key piece was that uh, getting children involved with the preparation of the food or even just setting the table is also impactful. So, you know, the actionable steps speak for themselves. You know, pick a day. The meals don't have to be, uh, you know, complicated on that day that you're you're going to sit together and shutting the TV off. But, you know, it, it, it's you're doing a good job. You know, when you're making, when you're trying your best and you're, 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 you know, I th- to me, if you're feeling guilty that you're not doing That enough, only means you care. Exactly. That's right. And it I, means th- like- it, I think it does. I think when you're, when you've got that feeling that, man, I could be doing better, you're probably doing a pretty good job. Yeah. It's always a better, uh, better thing to be questioning your motivations and, and, and your purpose so that you can continue to grow. Yes, grow and build on that. So, mm-hmm. you know, a, a sort of a feel good uh, for a Tuesday morning and especially running to this uh, sp- busy, busy time. You know, take, take, take heed, give yourself a pat on the back. You're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. So on to today's show. This is um, something that has got a lot of interest uh, for us. And, and, you know, I guess... It's not something that um, I have come across in practice, uh, to be perfectly honest, but chronic fatigue is an issue for many, many people out there. And our guest is Dr. Nisha Chalam, and she is the best-selling author of Transform Your Thyroid, The Five Steps to Regain Your Thyroid and Get Back Your Life. She was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, but prior to this, had a, f- a failing tug of war with weight gain, seasonal allergies, joint pains, migraine headaches with normal blood tests. She was diagnosed with prediabetes and vitamin deficiencies when she got exposed to the clinical application of functional medicine. Applying these principles, she was able to completely resolve all of her medical issues. Since then, her only goal has been to spread the message that there is a different way to diagnose and resolve health issues. She believes chronic symptoms are a default to not seeking a better way. Our learning points today, what is the clinical definition of chronic fatigue? What is the functional medicine model for dealing with chronic fatigue? And how can we take the steps right now to combat fatigue? So we'll be talking about this and uh, lots of other interesting things when we return from our break. Grace was a kingdom I stopped at the gate Thinking I don't deserve to pass through After all the mistakes that I've made Oh, but I heard a whisper 
as heaven bent down Said, child, don't you know that the first will be last And the last get a crown to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Today's show is live. Please feel free to call us if you have any questions for Dr. Chellum. Our number is 416-245-1534. And please do follow us. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at The Health Hub RMC. Dr. Chellum, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation, and I'm excited. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure to have you. Um, you know, we, we, we're glad that you take the time to, to spread your expertise in this area. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is not something that I really come across too much in my clinical practice, but uh, when the show topic came out, it certainly garnered some interest. So obviously, uh, the area of chronic fatigue is impactful to many, many people. Sure. Uh, in fact, I didn't think I saw chronic fatigue in my office either uh, till I realized um, as we work with patients, you know, people come in with different complaints. So, and, yeah, and then, and then you, you know, the, the bigger challenge there is people came, they got their weight uh, issues resolved, they got their pain better. 
However, what they actually would come and tell me is, I can't believe the amount of energy that I have at this time. And I don't take my afternoon nap. I feel like I'm more rested. I feel like I have energy all day. And even at 9 p.m., I seem to be wanting to keep going on. And that was really very um, enlightening um, to me. And I said, you know, we never talked about fatigue. We never talked about the lack of energy. But they're coming and telling me about how phenomenal they feel uh, in with the changes that they made. And then I realized people actually struggle with fatigue and don't realize it because it has become something that's very normal to them. And I think that's where the challenge comes is when you say you haven't seen fatigue, I don't think people really know that they have fatigue because they have learned to live compensating for this particular feeling and it has become normalized in their life. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. It's a very interesting perspective on it because one of my first questions uh, out of the gate was going to be, is chronic fatigue um, a recognized medical condition in the medical world or is this uh, this solely recognized within um, alternative health? No, actually, chronic fatigue, uh, if you go to CDC, there is a whole section on chronic fatigue syndrome and um, also the brain fog associated with it. And for a long, long time, they've been saying we really don't know the reason why people have chronic fatigue. Um, People wake up in the morning and most of us feel energized soon after we wake up. I mean, at least for that moment or maybe after your first cup of coffee. I don't know. People get energized at different points. But. People with fatigue actually wake up feeling like they've run a marathon. They feel like there's no energy and they have to have everything in them to squeeze things out to get to do their day-to-day work. That's one aspect. The other aspect could be they they feel fine, but by the afternoon, they just crash. It's almost like they need a pick-me-up. Um, It may be a coffee. It may be a nap for a half hour or they cannot function the rest of the evening. So there are different ways people present, but the one that's defined in traditional medicine is chronic fatigue syndrome, forward slash ME. That's um, It's a myalgic encephalopathy or encephalagic condition, which means you actually have a lot of fatigue, pain, and brain fog. And for a long time, they said we don't know the reason, but we're beginning to realize the underlying cause of a lot of these conditions is inflammation, number one. Number two, could be an un- the inflammation is coming from an underlying infection that we're not looking for, a persistent viral infection, a persistent fungal infection, which sometimes you're genetically wired not to get rid of. Or with the way I look at when I look at my patients is I categorize them under three main categories. One is chemical, the other is emotional, and the third is physical. So if you have a physical issue or an emotional issue or a chemical issue, and a chemical issue would be the infections, the chemicals we get exposed to that we're not able to necessarily detox off our system, um, again, that's genetically wired or mold uh, ridden um, environment you might be working under. Maybe your workspace had a leak in the roof and they didn't fix it and you don't realize that that's mold growing and you're actually reacting it to it. 
these are the things that really uh, really create inflammation and the inflammation will translate into a chronic fatigue. So in the traditional world, there is no treatment. In fact, they don't even do the testing. They tell you that you have chronic uh, fatigue and they may treat the symptoms. Um, but in functional medicine, which is a form of medicine, uh, it's actually traditional medicine. It's just a different way of thinking and a different way of diagnosis. You look for the root cause. You ask the question, why? You don't try to figure out what, but you try to get to the why. Do you have fatigue? Why are you struggling with it? And so you go dig deep, deeper to find out what is the body need to heal or what do you need to move out of your life, out of your way, so that you can actually find the energy once again. It seems like there's a real spectrum of chronic fatigue, uh, because, you know, in one instance, you were talking about, you know, in, in my envisioning and researching about the topic, the chronic fatigue, where you just can't even get it going in the morning. It's just taking every ounce of effort. That, to me, would be more of the classical version of what I have read about chronic fatigue. And then the other spectrum is the crash, which I would almost say would be a blood sugar um, nutritional component. But you're saying there is quite a variance on how you would diagnose someone with chronic fatigue. Absolutely. In fact, I think most patients don't complain. They don't, that is not their leading complaint, right? They come in for other reasons. It's usually chronic pain or insomnia. If only I could get to sleep, I would have more energy. Um, or it could be weight issues. You know, I've tried everything under the sun and I'm just not able to lose weight. Or they also come in with depression and anxiety. And underlying to all of this is different degrees of energy uh, resources that they can tap into. And why, and the, one of the things I think we all need to get, everybody needs to understand this, your body works as a unit. So, you don't have chronic fatigue as separate from everything else. So if you have chronic pain and you have fatigue, they're somehow connected. If you have diabetes, you have fatigue, they're somehow connected. If you have insomnia, you have fatigue, they are connected. These are not separate conditions that have to be listed on a medical chart so that you can bill for each condition. They are connected as a system. Your body is trying to get your attention and this may be the time that you actually pay attention to it. When someone comes in to see you and you suspect that you've, they've got chronic fatigue, are there specific tests you do or blood markers that you're looking for? Or does this come into play with a diagnosis? Sure. So from a medical standpoint, you can if you go to a traditional medical doctor, they will run your thyroid. If your thyroid is fine, they'll say, um, or B12. Some you know, more physicians are uh, checking B12 and vitamin D levels. In a functional medical standpoint, what I look for is the whole metabolic panel. So I actually look for inflammation. Um, there are specific blood markers. We call it the high-sensitive C-reactive protein. I look for fibrinogen, myeloperoxidase. And then we also look for cholesterol in very high cholesterol in patients, homocysteine. So there are some markers that tell me there's a lot of chronic underlying inflammation going on. Then I look at a little more hormones than a traditional medical doctor would. So uh, when I practice traditional medicine, I only checked for TSH. Now I look for the whole thyroid panel. I look at the adrenals. 
I also check your testosterone and um, we call the reproductive hormones. There could be a disruption in there, particularly something called DHEAF, which is, um, I would say, the parent hormone before you get testosterone or estrogen. So I look at the whole picture because, like I said, the body works as a unit. You cannot just um, shine your torch on just one aspect. You have to look at the whole body and see what's going on. And in functional medicine, the root cause of everything is the gut. So we definitely include the gut in our testing. So we do extensive stool testing to see, is there inflammation in the gut? Are there food sensitivities? Is there an infection that we are not identifying or it's not very apparent? And when we put all of this together, I call it the blueprint of the patient. I'm able to with a very high degree of accuracy and also um, a definitive diagnosis of, hey, this is actually feeding into your energy problems. And that's how we um, address it a little differently from a functional medical standpoint. So the way you're explaining it, fatigue is more of a symptom of something underlying than an actual diagnosis in and of itself. Actually, yes. That's how it should be. In fact, if you ask me, diabetes is a symptom of an underlying problem. Hypertension is a symptom of an underlying problem. We love naming things, and then we become those things, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a diabetic. I'm a hypertensive. No, you are not that. It is a symptom of an underlying problem. Let's work together and see where is the underlying problem. So if I was to ask you this question, we're going to head to a break in a couple of minutes here, but I want to, I want you to give me a clear picture of what someone who is not suffering from fatigue is like. What should we look like under a normal, well-running system when it comes to our energy levels? First of all, you would not be listening to this talk, right? <laughs> because health is not on your mind. You don't worry about your health. You're just pretty much waking up in the morning. You're rearing to go. You don't need an alarm clock to wake up. You actually can uh, continue the day without worrying about your energy resources. Look at a child. They know when to take a nap and they can go, go and go. It's, uh, it's like the energy. Um, they just a ball of energy. And that's what you would do throughout the day. You are uh, hungry when you're hungry. You don't overeat. You don't feel down after eating. You actually go to bed on time. You're not struggling to sleep. That's a clean machine that's running, which is almost impossible for most of us because our mind runs our bodies, Mm -hmm. right? So when you worry, you tend to have a little bit of fatigue here and there, but is it a chronic problem? And that's what we have to delve into. So yes, you will be a picture of health and you wouldn't be worrying about your health at all. So the vast majority of us have some f- form of fatigue that we need to deal with because, I, you, you know, right around three, four o'clock for me, it's like, OK, should I put my head down or I'm not sleeping the rest of the night? And that's that's, you know, that's more common than not. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always, but, you know, on the other hand, you you hear studies about power naps helping you mm-hmm. get energized. I really think if we didn't have the electricity and all of the abundance that we have in life, we would all go to bed by 5.36 when the sun sets uh, because there wouldn't be light. And imagine if we didn't have fire, we didn't have candles. We would actually get to bed early. I think we're just running ourselves well past 
what I mean, we're uh, really stressing the human body and mind in many ways. And fatigue is just uh, some people experience it more and others don't. But I will tell you, if you have purpose in life, you're less likely to feel fatigued. Oh, so we're talking about a whole lot of uh, psychosocial impact when it comes to chronic fatigue. Sure, sure, absolutely. There is, no, there is no true physical problem I've ever seen in my life. All physical ailments have a mental component. That's very interesting. I think this is a good time for take a break because when we come back, I want to deal with uh, a whole bunch of other things and some questions that uh, people have passed on to us. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, everybody. years of age I'm still looking for a dream A war's already waged For my destiny But you've already won the battle And you've got great plans for me Though I can't always see Cause I got a couple dents in my Just a girl I thought I had it figured out See my life would turn out right And I'd make it here somehow But things don't always come that easy And sometimes I would doubt Cause I got a couple dents in my fender Got a couple rips in my jeans Try to fit the pieces together But perfection can do anything Yet other times I think I've got nothing good to bring But you look at my heart and you tell me that I've got all you see Girl And it's easy to believe Even though I got a couple dents in my fender Got a couple rips in my
are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Nisha Chellum about chronic fatigue. Dr. Chellum, I love when I get a perspective um, from guests that I never thought of. And, and I was, you know, it's ruminating of, of this uh, idea that a lot of people don't even know that they're chronically fatigued, that we've just learned to to defend ourselves against this and deal with the uh, the symptoms. That's very interesting. Uh, and it leads into one of the most um, common questions that uh, um, I was sent how does someone know when they've crossed over from being just dog tired to having chronic fatigue? Sure. So when you're tired, number one, you have a reason for it. You actually were running around, maybe doing your Christmas shopping, cooking and cleaning. And the next day you actually, and you go to bed, you wake up feeling completely refreshed. Instead of sleeping seven hours, you actually slept all the way up to 10 or 12 hours, but you feel refreshed. That's not fatigue. But when you have not done anything, you just go regularly to work, your eight hour, nine hour, now hours, including travel, you come back home, you don't have an ounce of energy to do just about anything. But you have kids at home, or you got to, cook and you just don't have the ability to cook, you order out most of the days because all you can think of is putting your feet up and you just doze off watching TV. That is a degree of loss of energy, which can be fatigue. And when you wake up, you're actually continue to feel tired. You could sleep a few more hours. I see this all the time, right? People wake up in the morning, they want to come for a doctor's appointment and they would have just woken up, they've dressed up, they've had a shower, they sit in my waiting room and they go to sleep. And they just barely got in. It's not like I've made them wait for 15 minutes. It's like they just sit there and they are fast asleep. So those are the things that we look for. And that, those are the things people should look for. It's like if you don't have energy in the beginning of the day and there's no good reason for you not to have that energy because you've slept, you have a little bit of a problem that you need to address. I think we can all sort of explain away being tired, though. It's it's a very, it's a it's a slippery slope when uh, you're trying to explain away being tired and and then you know crossing this line and should I see a doctor? There's so many symptoms that I can pinpoint in you know a lot of my days. Um, but uh, get back to chronic fatigue here specifically. Is sleep disrupted in chronic fatigue, or are you getting a powerful sleep? You're actually wired to be tired right? You're too wired. You're tired, but you're yet, you're wired. So a lot of people with fatigue can barely sleep. They want to sleep. They actually would love to sleep, but they barely sleep. And a lot of times when they sleep, it's not a deep sleep. They'll say, I just shut my eyes. I wasn't sleeping, but they were actually sleeping to the rest of the folks watching them. I mean, you slept really well. And so that's where family begins to think, oh, you're just lazy. Because you're sleeping so much and yet you complain of feeling tired. And that's one of if this, particularly I see it with thyroid. When your thyroid is dysfunctional, uh, family members will actually say, oh, she's very lazy. But actually they're not lazy. They just don't have, the energy is not there. And they, no matter how much rest they get, um, they, first of all, their body directs them to rest. 
and no matter what rest uh, in terms of depth of sleep or how much sleep or how many hours they've been laying in bed, they still wake up feeling tired. So it's it's very difficult. I would say the way, of, am I tired, am I fatigued, the different, to differentiate between the two, if this is very often an excuse that you give to people, or I am too tired, you may have to actually look at it as a symptom of something that's underlying. Hmm. Now, is the thyroid your, your first um, area of concentration? So when women come to me, I do look at the thyroid because we're beginning to see more and more disruption of the thyroid. But as I delve into this, I've practiced now for 22 years, and I find the biggest, uh, I would say the most common reason why thyroid gets disrupted is underlying stress. They've had an event in their life. It could be a failed relationship or moving away from home, something very emotionally triggering. And most, the other most common cause in women is pregnancy, the very first child. The birth of the first child, something changes completely. Physiologically, it's a stress to be pregnant as much as we all love being pregnant and have babies. It actually has, it's a huge stress for the body. And a good percentage of women come out with an inflammation of their thyroid. And they have this persisting fatigue, which they chalk up, like you said, to, oh, I didn't sleep last night, the baby didn't sleep well, or, you know, I just have a newborn at home. And that fatigue continues on for a year. It's in the second year, they come to me and say, you know, I thought it was because of my baby, but now my baby's sleeping through the night. I just don't understand why I don't have the energy. And that's when I go for the thyroid because it's very classic soon after a pregnancy or soon after a major emotional event. Your thyroid, for some reason, fails. So you don't know that reason why the thyroid. I was just going to ask you, why is a thyroid impacted by stress? Mm, Yeah, that's a very interesting um, uh, question, and we only have theories about it. Uh, What happens is when you have stress, your cortisol goes up. And people have cortisol is that hormone that's produced by a gland called the adrenals, which is sitting on top of your kidney. And that's the one. It has two different hormones it produces, like when you are um, shocked about something or when you have an acute stress, like you were just trying to avoid a car accident. You know, your heart rate goes goes up, your pupils dilate, you become defensive. That's the adrenals uh, or the adrenaline. And when that hormone, um, it's acute and it goes away. But when you have chronic stress, where you're constantly stressed, either by finances or by a relationship or by um, just life in general, then the body switches over to producing what is called cortisol. We think this cortisol destroys the gut lining. And the gut lining is the place where you have your immune system. The immune system then gets haywire and really tends to attack the thyroid, mostly in women. And maybe there's a genetic wiring. So a lot of times stress of any kind, physical, emotional, chemical, can translate to an attack on the thyroid because of what is happening in the gut. The adrenals run the show. The adrenals a lot of times run the show um, if you're chronically stressed, yes. 
So then it begs the question, do women uh, in your practice, in, in research, do women suffer more from chronic fatigue than men? I actually, yes, they do. Um, thyroid, fatigue, chronic fatigue, these are all things that women tend to have. Uh, I think it's almost if you lined up 10 people, um, eight of them would be women. Interesting. And if you're having child, you know, for instance, myself, I had three children two years apart. I mean, you're you're learning to deal with this fatigue um, very well. And, yeah. and that does feed right back to what you were saying that a lot of people have um, built up walls to deal with this chronic fatigue. Now, we don't want a rush of people coming into the doctor's office claiming chronic fatigue. That's not what we're trying to do here. Correct. No, no, not at all. It's just if you know, see, one of the things I tell people is every symptom is important. A lump in the breast will alarm everybody. A chest pain will alarm everybody. But why is that when you get up and you were normally energetic and now you're not, you're giving yourself excuses. When you get up, you have knee pain and you normally don't. You're giving excuses as to why, oh, my mother had arthritis, so I have arthritis. I mean, we just kind of brush aside these symptoms which allow us to compensate in a different way or uh, do not prevent us from do, uh, doing our daily tasks, right? Mm-hmm. It's either fear-based or if it hinders your daily tasks, that's when you take uh, pay attention to it. Hypertension, nobody cares about hypertension because the doctor cares about it. Oh, your blood pressure is high, here, take a pill. Half the time you forget to take your medicine because you don't know what it's doing for you because it's not necessarily a symptom that is bothering you. So that's why it becomes important that you get, you don't accept simple symptoms or change in your well-being, no matter how minuscule the change might be. Pay attention. Ask questions. Why am I feeling this? And actually give a more, um, a better answer than, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just running around. You're all the time running around. If you're the kind that runs around once, you're all the time. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So fatigue might be a new symptom for you or feeling tired easily may be a new symptom for you or pain might be a new symptom for you. Pay attention, ask questions. But you have to also go to the right doctor, by the way. Well, this is <laughs> the thing, right? So um, you were in, you were um, a typical MD, is that correct? Yes. Yes. So what, what just finally pushed you over to functional medicine? Yeah, yeah that's a very good question. So I come from a family of, you know, nine of my aunts and uncles were diabetics. And four of them died from complications of diabetes. So when I was 42, I remember feeling the fatigue, especially the two o'clock crash. I would drink five cups of coffee. I started losing my hair. I was gaining weight. I had knee pain. I had back and neck pain, which I couldn't explain, but my mother had arthritis. And then I also started having um, uh, high blood sugars. Like my sugars would go, I would have a crash, I would have high sugars. Otherwise, I could not sleep, which was never an issue for me. I could sleep anywhere and I would wake up. So when I checked my blood sugars, it was high. I had the 90-day average is called A1C, hemoglobin A1C. I was at six. So I was a pre-diabetic. And I started myself on metformin because I was traditional MD and I studied everywhere that metformin really helps with insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. And I accepted it till... I found that my migraine headaches, which I used to get once a month, were 
happening every day. So you see the pain that pushed me. So now I couldn't show up at work on time because in the morning I had to chug down two Tylenols, uh, sleep an extra hour to get the pain go away so I could function the rest of the day. When that pain became severe and I went to a traditional endocrinologist, I didn't want to treat myself. She said, you know, come back in six months. We'll see if something shows up in your blood work. And somebody introduced me to a functional medical conference. And it changed my world because I realized we're accepting certain things as it's genetic or this is something that runs in your family. Therefore, you're going to get it. I was in my 40s, headed towards becoming a full-fledged diabetic, but my aunts and uncles were in their 60s when they first got diagnosed with diabetes or they had any medical issues. And I'm thinking, why am I two decades earlier when I asked those questions, when I went to functional medicine and I realized you got to look at things differently. You have to look at why is this person having it? What do they need in order to heal or what do they need to remove is when my thought process shifted. So I started doing better blood tests. I started asking better questions. And I realized the only way to help a patient is a patient has to run the care. In fact, they are leading the care, right? I, as a doctor, know much more about the disease than you do, but you, as the patient, know much more about you than I do. And that's where 10 diabetics cannot be treated the same way. Every diabetic has an internal and external stressor that's unique to them, and we've got to address that very differently. And that's why the traditional medicine, medical world, I realize I've been giving the medicines that they tell me to give to patients. I've been treating my diabetics, my blood pressure patients, my cholesterol patients, but their disease don't go away. If they stop taking the medicine, it all comes back up again. So what are we treating? We're managing disease. Can we actually resolve it? That's the question you have to ask. And what I realized is my migraines went away. I'm never going to be a diabetic. I can tell that confidently. I don't have any aches and pains. I was able to get back to my weight. My hair started, uh, it stopped falling. In fact, started growing because I suddenly realized what my body needed and what I need, what kind of a lifestyle I needed to live in order to keep health a priority. Because if you have health, you have everything. Right. Mm-hmm. If you have clarity of thought, you have strength, you have energy, you can achieve just about every anything you want to. And that's something that was really the shift. And I realized I was not going to be able to practice medicine the traditional way. And that's how I shifted to practicing 100 percent functional medicine. It just makes so much sense, you know, um, but we're still caught in the crosshairs of this because there are not a lot of functional medicine doctors um, available to us. And symptomology is often just treated. You know, I, uh, I know someone caught in the crosshairs right now, high blood sugar, never been an issue before, but has had many, you know, has had some severe inflammation issues. And there's no line connecting um, severe inflammation and diabetes. But I'm sure you've seen this happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. People all the time come in, right? They, they say, oh, I have multiple medical issues. No, you have one medical issue that's causing multiple symptoms. Right. So, and that's the shift that doctors need to make. That's the shift patients need to make. You're not. I mean, I, it, there's nothing that really um, uh, makes me feel sad when a patient comes to me defeated saying, oh, I'm a diabetic. I've been a diabetic for 25 years. Could you just renew my medicine? Mm-hmm. And it's like they don't even ask the question, is it, is it 
feasible for me to get rid of my diabetes so everybody in my family is a diabetic? They don't just ask that question. They've not even been taught to ask beyond what they've been told. And that's the key there. They're not being taught to ask because honestly, you know, someone who's got, you know, severe suffering from severe symptoms, they're given a medication, those symptoms go away and they're happier. And that's where the story ends. Yes. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I, I take responsibility as the medical, um, you know, uh, med- uh, as a physician and the medical system I came from, the education I came from is remember the word patient means sufferer, right? We're putting an end to the suffering. So anything that we can do to reduce the suffering of our patient is healing. But we have to define it, we have to completely have a different, set different expectations for ourselves and for our patients. You have to actually truly resolve, not just manage. If you're happy taking, you know, 10 pills in the morning, that's fine. I mean, that's the choice you're making. But if you, if you want to ask better questions, ask, why do I have this? Is there really a genetic component to this? I mean, I think there is a genetic, we're all genetically at a risk for certain diseases, but can your environment prevent you from having these diseases? So what in my environment should I change so that I can stay healthy? So just ask different questions. Be a partner in your care, not a passive uh, uh, consumer, which is what patients have become, unfortunately. And that's what the medical system teaches them. Well, Dr. Chelm, I think, you know, we've gone far past um, dealing with chronic fatigue and you've you've sort of uh, summarized everything that this show is trying to do. And that is equip people with knowledge to ask questions. Um, And it's still, you know, we still have this notion that the doctor is the be all and the end all. And I'm not taking away from doctors at all. Um, but what I want to do and, uh, and what you are doing and people of your ilk are doing are equipping patients with at least ask why, yeah. you know, and I think that that is, is vitally important. And, and the message that we at the Health Hub so want to get out to everybody, you know, and especially when you must see this a lot of times, someone who has been ill, someone who has had you know, uh, uh, an autoimmune uh, flare-up and symptoms of high blood sugar correlate or symptoms of chronic fatigue. You know, connecting those dots, you go to get the the traditional test done and you've got high blood sugar and then, well, we've got to just deal with the high blood sugar. But it makes a lot of sense to make these connections with other issues that have been going on. Is is that right? Absolutely. And I tell the patient... The doctor knows your disease, but you need to know why you are struggling. A lot of times, patients don't want to think of why they are struggling. You'll be amazed at how many times they'll tell me, you know what, you're right, it's the job that's killing me, or Mm -hmm. it's the relationship that's killing me. They just don't trust themselves, and they feel like all my solutions are going to come from the outside, but your solutions are within you. If you look at my tagline, I always say, the best place in my office is the, is the place where you'll find your best doctor, which is you. Mm-hmm. Because you know, you know what you got to do. You just too scared 
to do what you ought to do in order to get better. Well, you know, we're looking, um, one of my greatest pet peeves and a fear of mine, because I've had a lot of testing done because I have had cancer. Um, I hate testing. And, And I think the reason why I hate getting tests is because the results seem like a finality sometimes, as opposed to an indication. And I think if we can change the mindset of testing, as a yes. as as a as an inclination towards getting down the right path more than you've got this we have to treat it which to me invokes fear um Absolutely. and i would i would really love to hear your your opinion on on that notion sure so the way i look at testing is looking at the uh, scores board for a game right mm-hmm. you're playing the game of life now I don't think you want to play, you you could not play a game successfully if you don't know what you're scoring. Imagine having a blank scoreboard and you're just throwing baskets or hitting balls, but you don't know how much you're scoring. It doesn't give you anything. A lot of people tell me that I don't want to do my test. I don't want to find out what I got. What I tell people is the reason you feel that way is because you've been told once you have this, it's the end of the world. What I want people to understand this testing actually picks up stuff that you can prevent. True prevention comes from the correct testing. I I was, for instance, yesterday I had somebody who's been struggling to lose weight see me and they've been eating what is called the ketogenic diet and their genetic wiring shows that they don't process fats well. If they ate a high-fat diet, they will continue to struggle with weight issues. Now, that was an eye-opener for her. And that was, that's what testing should do. Testing should give you information that you can use, monitor, and shift how you live your life. That's what testing should do. It's not a statement. It's not something, it's not a death sentence. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's actually, yeah, it's actually something that gives you information. It's like balancing your accounts. You look at it and you say, oh, so today I cannot spend here mm-hmm. or I, can, I have a surplus for this. That's what testing should be looked at. It's never a statement. It's never a diagnosis. It's just, this is what needs a little more attention. Let's figure out why. It's abnormal. It gives you so actionable you, steps, and I think exactly. that that's that that's yep. brilliant. I'm, uh, you know, I'm so glad that we got down this road of of conversation because uh, you know it's hard to have a show on the validity of testing and so forth. But you know, just from personal experience, I have I really do have a hard time being lined up for a bunch of tests, but um, <laughs> I, I do, and I, it, it is a thing. But to to have the right framework and paradigm of of how to approach these tests, I think is so important. It's been a wonderful, wonderful conversation, Dr. Chelm. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for this opportunity. I hope everybody got something out of it. Oh, I'm sure they did. And everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.